I was kind of a mess. Uh, I That was just beautiful. It's always beautiful when we worship together. But something about singing that song this morning, I felt the gratitude in the room. Like, we were singing much louder than the band could keep up with. Uh, and I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. Uh, so thank you, worship team, for, for leading us through that. I really mean it. Like, that was beautiful. It really was. A um, couple quick housekeeping things before we jump into Romans chapter 2. One is... Uh, I'm loving this the series we're going through Romans, uh, but it's also it's very taxing on me spiritually and emotionally. Uh, I was kind of a mess the other night, and my beautiful bride pointed out that uh, I've I've spent the past two weeks going through uh, what the Bible talks about when it talks about sin and self evaluation, and then the topic that we're going to get into today, and it's very taxing on me. Uh, like I was just sitting in bed just weeping. Um, because it's just, I've got to just sit with this for, for so much time. So uh, Brad is going to bless us next week uh, with the second half of chapter two, and he can suffer. Uh, <laughs> and I can just sit there and eat popcorn. Um, we don't have popcorn. Maybe we should. Um, I'm going to enjoy it. So anyway, also, uh, next week will be the last in the Roman series for a little bit. We're going to take a break because uh, Christmas uh, is upon us, and we're planning our Christmas series. Uh, and my daughter's so excited. We set up the house yesterday. We got it all decorated. Spent way too much money on Christmas decorations, but we have them, so that's great. Um, <clears throat> so I'm excited for that, for Christmas coming up soon. So I'll be looking out for more details coming up from that. So this week we're in Romans chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 16. It says, Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself, since you, the judge, do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment is on those who do, on who do such things is based on the truth. Do you think that any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobedient to the truth while obeying unrighteousness. There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and then to also to the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. For all who sin without the law will also, also perish without the law, and those who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So when the Gentiles, who do not by nature have the law, do what the law demands, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. This is a, this is a fun section. Um, and this week what we're really reading is what Paul is saying to the Jewish people uh, in Rome. Uh, last week, among other things, what we were reading was what was Paul was saying to the Gentiles. Uh, as he was breaking down uh, what they understood, or what, not what they understood, but he was breaking down sin for them and helping them understand that they had sin. This week, we're reading what Paul is writing to the Jewish believers in Rome. And again, he's trying to help the Jewish people understand that they have sin. 
that, that there's nobody who escapes this fact that we all live under corruption. And we have to remember that part of Paul's reason for writing was to help two different groups of people coexist. You know, we talked about how the, the Jewish people who were there left for a while because they had to leave. They were expelled from Rome for 12 years, and they come back, and Gentiles are now running their church. And Paul's trying to help these two groups of people understand that you have to get along. And the basis for needing to get along is the fact that you're both under sin. You're both under the curse of sin. You both need salvation. You both need justification. So he's trying to help them understand that they need justification and righteousness by faith. We're not Jewish. Maybe somebody in this room is. Maybe you're a Messianic Jew, or maybe you are just Jewish by birth. But generally speaking, we're Gentiles. We're not Jewish people. We don't have the law. We didn't grow up with the law. But I think as Christians, there are plenty of things that we can draw out of what Paul is saying to the Jewish people. The first is hypocrisy. This is from uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's kind of where I'm taking this section out. And Paul's arguing that the Jewish people thought because they had the law that they were good. Like, I've got the law, I know the rules, I know what's right and wrong, I'm okay, I stand before God rightly, I've got no problems here. The problem was that they weren't actually keeping the law. They had it, but they weren't obeying it. They weren't using it as a tool of love, they were using it as a tool of correction and punishment against people. We read in uh, Galatians, when Peter comes to visit the Galatian church, Paul says that he had to accuse him to his face, because he was, before the other Jews came, Peter was sitting with the Gentiles, eating and and drinking and doing just as a Gentile does. But then when the other Jews showed up, Peter moved himself away and said, no, I can't be part of that. He was being a hypocrite. The Jewish people were being a hypocrite because they didn't, they were being hypocrites because they didn't follow the law even though they had it. And I think that that we can sometimes think that hypocrisy is something that somebody else does. Um, But I have a little test for us. If you want to know if you're a hypocrite, I have an easy test. These two fingers, you place them on your radial artery, and if you feel a pulse, you're alive and you're a hypocrite. If you didn't, you did it wrong and you're still a hypocrite. Right? We we all have hypocrisy. Right? Uh, Hypocrisy is, is something that we all struggle with at times. But there's levels of hypocrisy, right? So, like, hypocrisy can just be blind spots. Just things that you don't see, how they, your, your, your beliefs and your actions come into conflict. You know, I think uh, if you've been in church for a while, you've heard somebody talk about how hypocrite just kind of means an actor, somebody who plays the part. But there can be levels of that. So let's say you're, you're trying to save money and then you spend a bunch of money on trinkets. That's hypocrisy. You're guilty of that one. Let's say you, you, wanna, you say you're doing something out of love and then you start to resent the person that you're doing that thing for, that's hypocrisy. You can say that you follow the Bible and that you believe something is right and you believe something is wrong, and then you watch TV shows or movies that promote that thing. Hypocrisy. That's one that, that gets us. And I just as a quick side note, that's, that's a tough one for me. Because I, I, I can stand here all day and say, you know, uh, sex outside of marriage is bad, and drug abuse is bad, and uh, you know, whatever. I can list all these things that I say are bad and that I believe that I'm against and that I, I, I can preach against and that I say I, I will not partake in my life and then let them into my home as entertainment. That's not okay. That's hypocrisy. It happened just last night. We were sitting down to watch a, a TV show that I'd been waiting for 
waiting a year for this TV show. I'm not even kidding, a year. I saw the trailer for it a year ago, and I was like, I'm so excited. And I have been waiting. Check the calendar every once in a while, watch, rewatch the trailer just because I'm so excited, and I cannot wait. We start watching it. I'm not going to tell you what it is this time. Uh, <laughs> the suspense is better. Uh, we start watching it, and I'm like, I have this feeling in my gut and in my spirit. I'm like, I don't like this. They're, they're, they're promoting things that I don't believe in. So I, and I told my wife, I said, this is one of my prayer points, or one of my points for the message tomorrow, is we can't sit and watch and listen and partake in things as entertainment that go against what we say we believe. It's hypocrisy. doesn't mean it's easy. hypocrisy is about having a conviction of something and then not following through with that conviction. It's saying that I believe this is right. I believe this to be true. I I believe that this this is good and this is right. I have conviction in my soul and then doing things that are completely contrary to it. And again, they can be small things. Or they can be bigger things, like proclaiming that you love your spouse and then having an affair. It can be claiming that you believe the Bible to be honest and then cheating on your taxes or embezzling at work or doing different things like that. It can be saying as a student that, that I, I, I believe in Jesus and I'm a good Christian and I follow the Bible and then cheating on all your tests in order to pass your classes. It can be saying that you're a godly person and then acting in ungodly ways. It can be claiming that you love God and then acting unloving to other people. Hypocrisy, it's, it's all around us. And, and people will claim that, that oh, I, just, I can't go to the church. It's full of hypocrites. It is. So is the doctor's office. So is the dentist. So is the mechanic. doesn't matter where you go. You're going to be surrounded by hypocrites. The difference is, is, as Christians, we're not saying that we are perfect. We're saying that we're trying to be better. We're saying that we, we, will, we will hopefully, when we find where our worldview or our faith and our, our practices and our actions actually collide, that we will try by the power of the Holy Spirit not to walk that way anymore. That's what we're saying we want to do. We're, we're not claiming to be perfect. We're saying we're imperfect people on a path to follow our Messiah who is perfect. Because that's where it comes into conflict. Right, that's where it really gets fleshed out. It's not just the hypocrisy. We can spot hypocrisy all day long. We can point it out. Like we talked about last week, we're really good at pointing it out in other people. James tells us to hold up the, the word of God as a mirror and let it examine ourselves. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how do you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye? And look, there is a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. There's an exclamation point there. Hypocrite. First, take out the beam of wood in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. When we realize we have hypocrisy, when we realize our worldview, our faith, and our actions don't match up, the question is, what do we do? Because that's where sanctification occurs. Sanctification is this process of becoming more like Jesus. There's two aspects of sanctification. There's the initial aspect. When you come to Christ and you come to the Messiah and you confess your need for him and trust in him for forgiveness, and he says, you are mine, you are sanctified. You are set apart. 
that's what sanctified means. It means set apart, kind of like holy. It's, it's you're taken and you're sanctified. It's moved in a safe place. But there's also this process of sanctification that occurs in our lives, and part of it is when we run into hypocrisy. And we're confronted with that, and we have to make a decision. How we respond is of the utmost importance because it determines what steps God can put in front of us later. How many people have been like, I feel like I face the same test all the time. Like, Jesus, can I get a new test? And he goes, sure, could you pass this one? I got more, don't worry. Just get this one right. Second thing I think we can pull out of here is that there's no favoritism with God. God doesn't play favorites. He accepts all, he welcomes all, he judges all. We're all on the same footing with God. And as we mentioned last week, we went through a bunch of scriptures that showed us how God desires all people. He's not looking to punish anyone. He's not looking to to condemn anyone. He's looking to save everyone. He wants all people to himself. But what we have to understand as people who have a relationship with God is that relationship doesn't equal favorites. Instead, relationship implies responsibility. Right? Like, I don't hold Julie's, not, I could have picked another name than Julie. There's too many Julies right here in the front row. Uh, I, I don't hold Lucy's kid <laughs> to a specific standard. I don't have a relationship with him. I hold my children to a standard. That's what God is saying, is favoritism doesn't exist, but he does say, because you're mine, because you have a relationship with me, I hold you to a standard. I expect certain things out of you because my name is on you, is what he's saying. And that's good. Like, that's good. We've talked again, the weight. The the thing I love about Christianity is that we are not bound by the law. Right? We're under grace. We have freedom. Paul talks so much in in, 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 in his letters, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we have freedom that we're, we're under grace and mercy and we have freedom. The thing is, though, is I feel like sometimes our faith is taken too casually. It's like, oh, Jesus has forgiven me. Is that what you want? Like, to, to, like do you, it, it, think about your spouse or if you're a child, think about your relationship with your parents. Is what you want is forgiveness or is what you want right relationship? So God says you have the relationship with me. I'm yours, you're mine, we're in this together. Now there's responsibility placed on you because you're mine. The people Paul was writing to forgot this. They thought we have the law, we have the rules, we have the covenant, we're okay. He says, yeah, but there were things for you to do, and you didn't do those things. When we come to know truth, we're responsible for it. That's accountability. And that, that's, that's a great thing, but it's also a hard thing. Like, I think we've all had times where you, you've got a job and uh, your, your boss gets mad at you for something you didn't even know was your responsibility. Like, they're yelling at you, they're getting frustrated with you, they're getting all annoyed with you, and you're like, I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. God doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do, I'm going to tell you what I want you to know, and then I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And again, it's like the test. As we, as we learn that, as we start to walk in that, he gives us new information and new responsibilities, and we walk in more. And we're judged and held accountable to what he's given us. 
good. When we have information, we're accountable for the information. What do we do with that? We often wonder, like, what does God want for us, right? We've talked about this numerous times. Because it's one of my favorite questions to ask. God, what do you want for me? The answer is always the same, right? We'll talk about it again. Mercy, humility, walking through it. But Jesus also says in John chapter 6, verse 29, the work of God is to believe on the one he has sent. That's it. Like, that's what we do. When it all boils down to the end, we trust Jesus. That's what we're accountable for. And then we're accountable with what we do for that, with that information. Like, do we, do we share that information, or do we overcomplicate the gospel to become a bunch of different things? Do we, do, we, do we add on works to all these things when really the simple thing is, is God says, I just want people to be in relationship with me. I have a friend, Dan, uh, used to always joke, I'm God's favorite. And I swear it was true. <laughs> like, Dan would ask God for something, and it was like, here you go. Dan's got a rough side of that story too, though. And I don't mind sharing this because Dan shared it with me, and I know he's not watching. Um, <laughs> so it's okay. Just don't tell him. He lives in another town. Don't worry. Um, Dan Dan should have gotten all sorts of. Uh, uh, he had so many blessings from God. It like Dan would mess up and make a huge mistake, and it was like everything was just okay right afterwards. And like as somebody who that's not how life works for, it was frustrating. But Dan didn't walk in those blessings. Instead, he assumed, I'm God's favorite. And so he just kept doing whatever he wanted. And now Dan has to suffer with the consequences of that life. And a broken family and, and all sorts of other issues. We assume favoritism gives us special status when it doesn't. It just gives us special responsibility. And we have to walk in that responsibility. It's information that we're then supposed to walk in, which leads us to conscience. Because we have information that we're accountable for, but we also have a conscience. And a conscience is a little bit different than just information. Because information is, is things that, uh, accountability and information are things that go into your head and should inform your thinking and your decision making and the way you walk and the things you do. Like, we drive with information, right? Like, we, we decide, okay, I'm going to go to United. I don't want to go to this one because, you know, my experience, they don't have what I like. We use that information. Conscience is a little bit different. And there's two definitions I want to give us. The first is the Greek. Uh, and the Greek is the, the word sunedesis. And as Strong says, it's a soul, the soul as distinguishing between is what is morally good and bad, prompting to do the former and shun the latter, commending one, condemning the other. If you're familiar with Blaise Pascal, he said, the heart has reasons which reasons knows nothing. Conscience is this thing that we just understand intuitively inside. It's almost like instinct. The old French for this is conscientia, and it's just this compound word that just means with knowing. It's just knowing that you know, right? It's like the gut feeling, uh, the woman's intuition. Um, we don't have a word for like that for men. That's weird. You know what? That's a that's a that's a fallacy of silence or something. I don't know. Uh, there's got to be a word for that. I can't think of why we wouldn't have one. Shane, can you fix this for me, please? I need you to invent a new word. Uh, anyway, uh, it's just with knowing, right? Our conscience is what we know, even if we don't know why we know. 
you walk into a situation in a, in a room or something's going on, and, and, and our, your conscience just tells you, this isn't right. It's not quite Jiminy Cricket, but it's, it's a little bit more than that. Like, you just can't put your finger on it. You know that for some reason, I just, I know this is wrong, and I shouldn't do it. The problem is, to the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, their mind and their conscience is defiled. The problem is that our conscience gets defiled over time. And because we, we are born with a sin nature, because we, we live in a broken world, because as sinners, we've made so many decisions before we come to Christ. Because we just make bad decisions, our conscience gets defiled. It gets weakened. It starts to break down. And, and things that you should know are wrong, you don't. But the good news is, is that as we follow the Messiah, as we start to follow Jesus, as we walk with him for periods of time, as we see where our hypocrisy is, is in confliction with what we say we believe and we start to become more sanctified, as we start to walk and see that we can change the information, add new information in and have our, have our minds restored, we can have our conscience renewed as well. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 23 says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And it's talking about thinking, but it's also talking about our conscience that our conscience can be restored and renewed. And when we come to Christ and we, 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 we push in, we start to have our conscience renewed and restored, we start to think the right way. But then we also start to intuitively have the right feelings again. Because just because you've broken your conscience, just because you've, you, you've, you've bruised it, doesn't mean God can't restore that and fix that as well. And that's, that's I don't, I just want to linger there for just a second. I want to encourage uh, somebody, I don't know who, maybe, uh, and maybe it's just me. Um, like, if you're feeling like, I have a really hard time knowing what's right and wrong. Like, I feel like I've done some things that just kind of make it really difficult for me. Just pray about it. Like, push into Jesus, and you'll see that he can restore that as well. This is, this is a tough section because what we're seeing is, is not like last week with, with the Gentiles. This is, this is information for, for us who walk with Jesus. Like this is the thing where, again, at night when you're watching TV, it's the stuff where he goes, hey, you sure? This is the stuff where you start to react in a certain way when you're driving. I'm just going to look up because I don't want anybody to think I'm looking at them. Where Jesus starts to go, you sure that's how you want to want to drive? Right? This is the stuff where like it really gets difficult. Like when we want to respond to family members in certain ways, and we feel Jesus say, "Does that show them that I love them?" Hypocrisy is something we deal with every day. Right? Accountability for the information we have is something we struggle with every day not defiling our conscience, but wanting to have a renewed conscience where we can walk with Jesus in sincerity and trust is something that we struggle with all the time. Yeah, I, I might have said this, and I'm sure most of you know this, but the word amen means so be it. Right? I'm going to show you how that all connects. So amen means so be it. And Jesus talks about whatever you ask, ask in faith and you'll, you'll have it. First John talks about whatever you ask, ask believing and believe that you'll have it. Now, some have taken this into an improper place and turned it into 
you can have whatever you want, and Jesus wants you to have a Lamborghini, and maybe he does. If you've got two, sell one and donate it to the church. That's not what it's talking about. It's, it's, it's talking about our conscience, our, our, our state of hypocrisy, our accountability before the Lord. Like when you pray a prayer and you end it with amen, what you're saying is, Lord, not just the words of my mouth, but the meditation of my heart. I believe that these things match, and I trust you for this. When I started thinking about prayer that way, it kind of changed the way I prayed. When I understood that, that amen means so be it, that this is what I'm putting out to God, so be it, it started to change the way I prayed a little bit because all of a sudden I wasn't so sure I believed what I said anymore. Like if I'm praying for things, and I'm not saying like confessions of faith, I'm saying like I'm asking for healing, right? I'm praying for healing for somebody, and, and I'm saying so be it. Did I believe that God would heal them or did I have some hypocrisy there? Did I have conflicts with my faith and my actual beliefs or, or you know? So sometimes, we, we've been ta- we were talking about prayer and staff meeting on Tuesday. Sometimes prayer is best just sitting there and being quiet. Because you won't say the wrong thing. And maybe you'll hear what God wants you to hear instead. Hypocrisy is difficult. And we don't like it. And again, everybody's guilty of it. And, and to not gather with other Christians, other believers, because they're hypocrites, you're a hypocrite. That's hard. The question is, is uh, when we go into the outside world, right, because this is, this is really where it gets difficult, too, is people who don't know Jesus often incu- accuse us, believers in Christ, of being hypocrites. And again, they're right. But let's not give them more ammunition, right? Let, let's show them that we are loving. Let's show them that we do care. Let's show them that Jesus is who we say he is, because they're only going to see it because we do it. This is what Paul's saying in this, in this first section in chapter 2, is be the people that you say you are. Otherwise, stop talking. Like, that's hard. That's rough. And again, I think sometimes we take our faith too casually. Uh, the band can come up. And, and we think that, it's just it, oh, it's all okay. But we have responsibility as followers of the Messiah, as followers of Christ, we have responsibility to present him the right way. I'm thankful for that. I wouldn't want to just, like, you know, last week I joked and said that I kind of wish that, that we just had a list of do's and don'ts. But it's not true. I'm really thankful that the Spirit lives inside and he's constantly guiding us and showing us what's right. Because let's be honest, the Jewish people, of that time, had the law for thousands of years and they didn't get it right. When we trace the Christian faith, when we trace what what it's like to be a, a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you go through church history, you see pockets of times where believers really believed it, where they were like, I am not going to let my faith and my actions be two different things. We see people like John Wesley and his brother Charles. I don't remember if I mentioned them a couple weeks ago, but they started a group that was nicknamed the Holiness or the Holy Club. And they didn't mean that. It was people making fun of them. And John Wesley goes on to start the Methodist movement, which is not what it is today. It was something completely different. And hundreds of thousands of people were coming to faith. 
his brother Charles is so overwhelmed with the love and the goodness of God that he wrote almost 7,000 hymns. John Wakefield was part of that group, and he started the Second Great Awakening. The, the, between them, between these just these three men, millions of people have come to Christ because these guys said, no, I want to be like Jesus. And if you, it, they, they told their friends, Shane, if you see something in me that is not Jesus, you have to tell me. I, I, I beg of you to tell me. Are we willing to do that? Like, am I willing to even submit to anyone else that way? Like, am I willing to go to Braden and say, Braden, if you see anything in me that's not of Jesus, you have to tell me. Because I don't want any hypocrisy. I just want Jesus. If you see anything in me that doesn't line up, I beg of you to confront me about it, and I will submit to what you're saying, if you're right. Because we got a lot of opinions. If it lines up with what the Bible says, then that's what I want to know. And I'm telling you, as the lead pastor of Journey, as your pastor who you have brought here to lead us in faith, if you see something in me that's not Jesus, tell me. I got no problem changing. I'm not committed to anything except Jesus and my family. You guys, there's like a list. Everything else is pretty low on the list. It's an evolving list. Jesus is a Cowboys fan. I know it. Uh, he has to be. They're long-suffering. Um, but, like, that's what we need is to surround ourselves with other people who go, hey, I see some hypocrisy. You want to do something about that? And we go, yeah, I do. I, I really don't. But you're right. Because I'll tell you, as much as it hurt last night, like, painfully inside hurt. I want to watch my stupid TV show. It's all I want. I've been waiting a year to watch this stupid show. And the Holy Spirit says, do you? Yes. So I waited like five more minutes. And he didn't stop talking. So I stopped watching. But what's better? Right? A temporary moment? Or knowing that I passed that test. I'd rather pass that test because I failed it so many times. So do you guys stand? We're going to go into a time of response. And, and for a response time, I... Here's our prompts for our response time. Uh, number one, confession. If you find that you have sin, if you find that you've got hypocrisy, if you find that you've been playing the part, then confess. Confess to God or confess to somebody else. We're going to have prayer people up front. We have prayer people in the back. Find somebody to pray with and feel free to confess. Any one of these people that you come to to confess, if it's something, that's where it stays. It's, it's you, it's them, it's Jesus. Okay? Um, also just pray. You know, we talked about it in Psalms. God, search my heart and know me. See, point out any wicked way that's in me. Like, just ask Jesus, is there something in me that shouldn't be there? And don't be worried if, like, you're like, I can't actually think of anything at this moment. That's okay. This isn't, like, an emotional judgment thing. Like, maybe right now, Jesus has got you right where he wants you, and he's like, I, we've been through a lot. I'm not pointing out anything else at this moment. We're just going to chill and, and go through this.
through the holidays. That's okay too. But take that time to open your heart before him. So Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this day. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your patience. Jesus, I thank you that even when when I, when any of us, and I, I can say me comfortably, Jesus, that when I play the hypocrite, you don't discard me. I thank you that you don't kick us out when we don't get it right, that instead you're long-suffering with us. I thank you for sanctification. I thank you that you walk us through the steps to grow and to be more like you. I thank you that you don't give up on us. I thank you that you persevere, that you push because you love us so. Jesus, I pray that if there's anybody in here who doesn't know you, who, who's kind of stayed away because they think, oh, just a bunch of hypocrites, that they would see their own hypocrisy. Jesus, point it out to them so that they know that you love them just as much. Jesus, as we go out, especially as we go out into the Christmas season, and, and so many want to just use you, your birth, as a tool uh, to, to beat people, Jesus, let us be a people who use it as a way to lift. Let us be a people who rejoice at your birth, that you came and you dwelt with us, that you chose to tabernacle with us. Let us rejoice so loudly, Jesus, that it drowns out the, all the other noises. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We desire you.